We welcome you to the Romantic Truth Podcast. The content of this podcast is intended for an adult audience due to the nature of sensitive subject matter and topics. Share the experience of Romantic Truth with friends on Google, CastBox, Spotify, Podcast Addict, Radio Public, Breakers, Apple, or any other podcast platform. Just type in Romantic Truth in the search and subscribe. Now, here is the host of Romantic Truth, Jowson. Hi everyone, Jowson with you here. Romantic Truth is February 3rd, 2022. Now, what I'm going to do, I'm going to break down the four categories of questions. And each segment is going to deal specifically with those four categories. So, I want you to lay back and let me do my magic. Alright, the first one is, who are you? This is a category of question that's designed for you to define yourself. This category deals with you defining yourself based on you. Not what you own, not what you drive, not what you live in, not who you know, none of that. You're being stripped naked. You're now describing who you are. What is your self-perception of you? We're not talking about what people think of you. We're not talking about what people say about you. We're talking about what you think and say about yourself. This is all we're going on. It's just going to be raw you. What do you think of yourself physically? What do you think of yourself emotionally? What do you think of yourself mentally? What do you think about yourself when it comes down to interacting with others? Do you feel awkward? Do you feel out of place? Do you feel as though you don't belong in most environments? And if so, why? Do you feel as though there are some people out there that are better than you are for whatever reason? Maybe they're more attractive. Maybe they're more educated. And what's your perception of the way you feel about those people? Now, the reason why you're asking these questions is because you're better defining who you are. And here's the thing. You're looking for things within yourself that need improvement before you start going out there to date someone else. What's valuable to you? What are five things that are standards that must be held up at all times to ensure your integrity and your respect as a person? I want you to name five things that fall into that category. Has things in your background impacted you as an adult? Are there certain things that have happened in your past that still linger in your current adult life that hamper you, 
fears, insecurities. How much of an impact that someone said about you in some kind of negative or even positive way, how has it impacted you now? How has it impacted you going through to your adult life? Now, I want you to think about what traditions do you still hold from your family that you may have questions about? Have you ever lied to yourself? Now, these are not questions you're going to ask your partner in the future. These are questions to define you right now. If you lied to yourself or gaslighted yourself, what were the circumstances? Have you ever done this in past relationships? Have you ever lied to a partner to make them feel better? And why did you do it? Have you ever been told that you were needy, crazy, delusional? Do you question your judgment? Do you reevaluate your self perception on occasion? Overall, do you love yourself? Now, separate from that, do you like yourself? Two different things altogether. Do you have issues when it comes to being alone? Does emotional abandonment play a major role in how you perceive yourself? When you're upset with others, do you exile them? Do you punish them by not being in their lives? How important is sex in your life? Do you love it? Do you hate it? Or is it one of those things that's not a non-event? Is sex something that you look at as a duty or an obligation in a relationship? Or is it something that you would perceive as a need in a relationship? Now, I know a lot of people are going to say, well, sex is different from intimacy. Well, usually intimacy will lead to sex a lot of times. It's one of those syntactical arguments. How comfortable are you with yourself? In essence, are there other things you think you constantly need to work on with you? These are questions just to give you an idea of who you're starting with, who you're dealing with. 
when it comes to you. How much of an influence does family have on your life? Can you make decisions independently based on several things? One, do you make these decisions autonomously on your feelings, on your instinct? Or do you have to have facts? Or do you have a belief? How influential are your beliefs over facts for you to make decisions in life? Or do you think that there should be some sort of balance? How do you perceive yourself going forward? And when I say that, I'm talking about in the future. People never ask themselves these questions because very few people actually try to work on themselves. Instead, they would just let it just go. Whatever happens, happens, I'll deal with it. Well, they say that they kick the can down the road. Ten years later, they're dealing with the same situation, trying to kick that can. Until there's no more road to kick the can down. How much of an influence does external things, or do external things have on me? Now what do I mean by this? When it comes to your identity, do you use a career, wealth, education, beauty, celebrity, to define who you are with other people? What is very important to you to achieve in your life? Is it love? Is it money? Fame? The catalyst? What is your perception of happiness? Have you ever been happy? At the present state you're in right now, are you happy with yourself? How much of an influence do others' opinion have on you? Let me rephrase that. <clears throat> Forgive me, folks, I'm laying down. How much of an influence does others' perception of you have an impact on you? Do you find yourself following people based on charisma, based on charm? What is that thing that attracts you to someone else? Is it money? Is it their attractiveness, their confidence, their charisma. 
Would you consider yourself being a confident person? And if so, how? Do you feel as though the person that you're seeking does exist? What purpose or role will that person that you seek out in your life do for you? Do you feel as though you're incomplete if you do not have a partner? Are you looking for perfection? Do you have a perception that the other person seeks perfection out of you. Have you ever gone beyond the scope of reasoning when it came down to doing something for someone you love? In other words, have you been in love to a point where you lowered your boundaries and lost your identity. In the case your boundaries or standards are challenged, are there exceptions to those boundaries or standards that you would allow? If so, what are they? Are you willing to protect these five things throughout your life? Your freedom, your wealth, your mobility, your decision-making skills, and your reputation. to making hard decisions when something may not be working out in your favor? Will you stay in a situation thinking that it's going to get better? Or would you end the agony despite hurting feelings, even your own? Such as a relationship or toxic situation. Are you quick to assume blame, shame, or guilt? And if so, what is the reason for your quick assumption of those? Does it have to do with 
clearing the air going forward are genuinely taking the blame or saying it's my fault for things that are not genuinely your fault. Folks, these are just some of the questions that you will need to ask yourselves before going into relationships. Here is why. After being more truthful with who you are, this gives you a better perspective on what to expect, on your expectations on how you're going to be treated, as well as your standards, and it builds up your tolerances. And let me explain one thing to you more so than anything before the end of this segment. Your tolerances should have time limits. Because if they don't, that other party is going to take their tolerance as acceptance and they're not going to modify their behavior. They're going to go on the assumption that you accepted whatever they're doing. So if that person, for instance, told you that they didn't smoke and you find out they did and now they're being themselves, they're smoking all over the place, you can remind them about what they had initially disclosed. They don't want to hear it. You either accept it or go. Don't sit there and tolerate it and say, well, I love him or I love another person. I can go on. No. If that was one of your deal breakers, hold yourself to that standard. Hold that person to that standard. And go on and move on. Don't waste your time. You don't have to. Because, see, the more rules and the more standards you break for that individual, the easier it is for them to lower the other ones. It doesn't stop with just that one. You run into this quagmire again and again and again. Last question. How willing are you to compromise? One thing to remember about compromising in relationships, it should take up no more than 25%. 25%, a quarter of you, should be willing to compromise. And that includes everything. If you're compromising at 50%, we'll say for instance, you start a relationship and there are certain things you agree on. And they fall within that 25% category. These are things that you can accept and they can accept some compromises on your side. Okay, that's cool. When you get to 50%, at 50%, this is when you start to notice that you're kind of giving up too much for the relationship. At this point, certain things you may be tolerating that are beyond your standards. He may have another girlfriend, and you know about it. And in that instance, you've done nothing about it but tolerated it. But then it'll get to a point where he starts missing work because of her. It starts to impact income coming in the house. And you go out and get a second job in order to compensate 
that's when you've gone too far. And then it gets to a point where he's lost his job, and now you have to become the very one when they're transferring that responsibility onto you. Now, at this point, you've lost who you were. Because what has happened now, even though you're trying to keep the relationship up, this person is not carrying their weight in it. And so now you've gone way past your tolerance. So what happens in this deal, now to be different if the person became disabled, injured, or something of that sort, but we're talking about negligence here. And at this point, if you ever get out of that relationship, first thing you ask yourself, like most people do, what the hell was I thinking? How much of a fool was I to allow the situation where it started out as an extramarital or relationship on the side, and then it gained momentum to interfere with our relationship to a point where he actually made time for this person and deprioritized me by making excuses for me, but prioritizing that other woman. And now it's gotten to a point where he's lost his job. He's spending more time with her. Now I have to take on all the responsibilities due to his negligence. So you have to watch that transfer of liability in the relationship through irresponsibility and negligence. Have your standards. We're going on to purpose in the next segment. Let's talk about purpose. What is your purpose? First question. Now, I want you to have two purposes. One may be an altruistic purpose. Something that's kind of a larger grand scheme of things. It could be something like to perpetuate love and harmony throughout the world, something like that, something that's grandiose, but something that relates to your agenda in life. So this is more or less your overall goal. And you could put it on a spiritual level if you want. You could put it on a humanitarian level if you'd like. Now, the next thing, your practical purpose. What will you do as a passion, out of passion I mean, for that purpose? What are you doing currently to pursue that purpose? Now, when I say it on this level, I'm talking about something that's practical, something that's tangible, something that you do. 
to give you an example. On the altruistic level, it could be something like, at some point what I would like to do is to have a better understanding between the genders, between the people. Even though we have differences, we are the same. Now, sounds very broad, right? And ambiguous. On a practical level, my contribution for that purpose is romantic truth. So I try to do the best I can in relation to that purpose, the passion for it. This is something that has brewed within me, an internal thing that's brewed in me ever since I was a five-year-old kid, all the way up. The fascination of seeing two people meet and engage in a relationship. Just for the record, I started hooking up college couples when I was on a college campus at ages seven and eight and up. I was a cute little boy that was able to get two total strangers together because they had the same book covers. Just as an aside, for those of you who don't know, I grew up on a college campus during several years of my life. Tupelo College in Mississippi and Jackson State College in Mississippi. And I would see these men and women in college reading these books. One would be on the steps at the cafeteria, a female, for instance. The other guy would be on the steps of the library. And what I would do is ask the lady, ma'am, if I found a man that had a book like yours, would you sit there and read with him? And she'd say something like, sure, little boy. Good luck. And I'd walk around campus, and I found a guy one day, and he was reading a book at the library. And I said, sir, there's a lady that would like to read with you, and she has the same kind of book you do, the same color and everything. And he said, really? I said, yeah, I could introduce you for a dollar. And he was like, little boy, go somewhere. And he gave me a dollar. He said, yeah, come on, let's go. They sat down. They started reading together. Well, you know, they started laughing with each other and started joking around. They had the same instructor. And then I started doing that more and more on the campus. And I got the joy of seeing two people light up in amazement because they were with each other. Several of those people married later on after they graduated. And I knew then, wow, that's all it takes. And so from that, I said, well, since I can do that now, this is something that I'm going to have as a passion. And this will be part of my purpose in life. And ever since then, it's just been that. The human dynamic. 
And then I could answer the question why I had that passion. I knew where it came from. And I knew what the merits of it was. And that was important. So your passion should correlate with your purpose. And it should lead to a goal, a merit of some sort, of personal fulfillment first. And then others will get the residual benefit of that purpose. And this is where you have to really look deep within your soul and determine what that is for you. Everybody's passion is different. Now, with that passion, how would it correlate in a relationship? Where would that partner fit in with that passion and that purpose? Would you literally want to incorporate that person into your passion or purpose? Or should it be a thing where they should have a supportive role in that endeavor? I personally chose someone that would be more or less in a supportive role because that passion is my responsibility. And therefore, I could not be fair with my partner if I put that burden onto them. You know how some people will have a passion to open up a business? They open up the business, so as they get in a relationship, they dump that responsibility on that partner. Well, that partner have passions of their own. And that passion that you have may not correlate with what they have going on. And plus, that would be disrespectful to your partner to do, to throw that onto that person. So instead, everybody's responsible for their own work. And you'll run into people who don't believe in that. They think that I get me a partner, I got me a secretary. That's not your job. Now, and it's not their job to be your secretary either. So by defining your passion, the passion is the motivation, it's the drive for your purpose. Your purpose is something that's within your soul that keeps you motivated and pushes you every day. Some people's passion, of course, is monetary. Others have to do with beauty, you name it. But now keep in mind one thing. No matter what that passion is, you will have to make sacrifices to pursue it. This is where a lot of people run into that gray area. They want the merits and the rewards of that passion, but they may not want to work for it. See, my passion was romantic truth to put this thing together. was not monetary. I didn't expect to make any money off of this. It cost me more to do the podcast than it does in what I make. But it's not the problem. Not for me. Because I do this willingly. To help others. Because through it all, we got to remember one thing. 
In our society, what do we do most of the time? Many of us worry about surviving the next day. We're checking our paychecks to make sure that the hours are right. We spend more time working than we do living. See, your passion is something that you live through. It's not work. It's the vacation you have from that job. You look at our society now in America, we get two weeks off vacation. So what are you working? Pretty much, in many cases, you're working 50 weeks, some 48 weeks. In other countries, they recognize the human condition and they have 30 days vacation. And in some countries, if you're getting married, you get another 15 days, like in Italy. And you have more of a context where the human condition is valued more so than here. Let's face it. Many countries, they have national health care. They have national education. Two burdens that sink many relationships and marriages in America. Especially health care. I know couples that had a divorce in order for one to sign off because a parent or relative got sick so that they could take and shoulder a bankruptcy so that the other partner will still remain in the clear. And they were still together romantically, but they had to sidestep so that at least one of them would be able to salvage their lives to help the other one out. And it doesn't have to be that way, folks. There's one couple I was reading about. The woman's mother got very ill and the procedure was going to cost a lot of money. And the wife, being an accountant, she was very intuitive. And she told her husband, she says, look, what we're going to do is we're going to divorce because it makes no sense for both of us to go down because there's no way in the world I'm going to be able to pay these horrendous bills because the insurance company was itemizing what they were going to pay and what they were not, which meant that she had to be responsible for the debt. So they divorced, they got everything finalized, and then when it came down to those bills rolling in, they were in the wife's name. She took a big hit, big financial hit. And she paid as much as she could, and eventually she had to file bankruptcy. Meanwhile, the husband was still going on with her. They were still having their intimate relationships and everything. But he understood. And it's really sad that some people in America have to do this in order to stay together. Families are broken up because they have to qualify for social programs because when they put these things together, 
they didn't think it through that it would be more beneficial for the man to be in a home with an income to help out so that they could get off a of government assistance much faster than they would by the man being out of the home and having perpetual generations of single mothers and broken families. And some psychologists would say families are never broken, but they are. When you have a child wanting their father and their father is nowhere to be found, or their mother nowhere to be found, their family's broken no matter how they look at it and how they try to dress it up and put it in politically correct terms or some kind of bastardized situation. These kids want to know where they came from, who their father was. You know, back in 2008, when things really hit bad, there was one evening that um, I went to a shelter. But I was living in my car. And what had happened during that time, it was a messed up situation because there were families. They had to literally split so that the wife and kids could have a night in the shelter and the husband had to sleep out in the car. Those were some bad times for a lot of people in this country. This man cried like a child wanting his family. Mad at the fact that they had a nice home, he had a great job, he was supporting his family. And to see things fall apart as quickly as they did was tough. Now, as an aside, I think if the Democratic Party is going to do anything constructive for the American people when it comes to social programs, they should start looking at maybe trying to keep these families together, supporting them by putting them in some kind of child development program so they can learn how to properly rear their kids. And not only that, I'm talking about classes. And not only that, pay for their health, their uh, daycare. And then have the parents in a program so that they can get jobs, careers established, and then have a time limit for them being on that particular program. They could do it within five to six years, and then they're off the system completely. And they have a shot at life because they have an education, they have careers, they know how to rear their kids, and they don't fall back on the public doles again. But the problem with it, too many people are making money off of the way things are. Nobody wants to change it. The Johnson administration had it wrong by taking 
the man out of the household. Because there are some people in this country that think they're going to be cheated out of every dollar. And this is indicative of how society treats men in general. A woman and a child will always have a place to stay in this country. If a woman is homeless, the only thing she has to do is express it. There will be a man to take her in. When a man is homeless, hmm, look at Fifth Street in Los Angeles. That gives you an idea of the way they treat men in this country. They don't care. We're expendable. And I don't say that from a point of victimhood. I say that from a point of reality. Especially if you're a black man. There's less even thought of you. In some cases in our society, people feel as though that's where you belong anyway. Homeless and destitute. Even people within our own race. Now, if you don't get anything out of this particular segment, folks, I want you to understand one thing. Your passion drives your purpose. And that purpose that you have will be one that's altruistic and one that's more tangible. That tangible purpose is what you're doing and what you're planning on doing in the future. That other one is a macro view of where you're headed. You want to have some kind of focus in your life, a goal, a driver. These are going to be things that are going to help you. And along the way, you're going to enhance that effort by getting your education. Working in the field that you plan on working in that will get you closer to that goal. That's what it's going to take and that's what's going to make you more attractive to that other potential partner. In the next segment, we are going to address strengths and weaknesses. We've covered who you are. We covered what your purpose is. Now let's cover strengths and weaknesses. All of these are pertaining to you personally for things you need to look at within yourself. Now, what are your strengths? You can take out a pen and paper and write down what those strengths are, the things that really make you proud about yourself. And the next column, and you can number them from one all the way down to whatever number, you want to write down your weaknesses, things that you may not be that adept in, things that you may not be that good at, things that you may need to work on, and even things that you're afraid of. Because one thing that we 
have to remember about the second column of weaknesses is that we usually have a fear associated with it. And that fear is fake evidence appearing real. In our minds, we paint a far worse picture than what we face in reality. I had a friend of mine years ago that used to obsess about paying his bills. And he used to worry all the time. And he said, man, I don't know. I I just think that, you know, one day I'm just not going to be able to pay my bills and things are going to be really messed up. Well, one evening, because I knew he and his girlfriend very well, she called me up and she had just started to move in with him and she was going through the bills. And she says, do you have a minute to talk? I said, yeah. She says, "Uh, please don't tell him I called you. But I see why he's running so short on money. I said, why is that? She said, every bill that he has has been paid up. He's paid too much. He had credits on his cable bill. He had credits on his light bill. He had credits, and I'm talking hundreds of dollars of credit, on all of these bills. She went and reassessed. He only owed $2,000 on a $40,000 car. He was obsessing so much that he was constantly overpaying. And I told her, I said, well, in a way, that's a good thing. She said, his student loan, he only owes another year on that, and that's paid off. He made pretty good money. But he obsessed because it was predicated by him growing up in poverty in the South. And he never wanted to see that again. And that was a fear that motivated him to keep paying, even when he didn't. His lease on his home was paid for the full year. Habitually. When he got paid, he put as much money into his bills as possible. So much so that at times he would borrow money from me. And I had no idea that that was going on all the time. Now, the money he would take from his savings, from his 401k, pay the penalty, that hurt him. But He was making sure that he was not behind. He was so worried about it. (laughs) Until he got someone in his life who kind of calmed him down and structured him in a way because he didn't have that. He was always motivated by the fear. You'll find people like that. Now, what are some of the weaknesses? Let's address the weaknesses first. You pay off a credit card, you cut it up, and then you apply for another one. That's a weakness. Anything that comes in the mail offering your credit line, you take it when you don't need it. That's a weakness. (coughs) Doctor's giving you a prescription and a diet, 
You're like, well, it wouldn't hurt for me to eat this chocolate cake. Well, you're not supposed to eat it. That's a weakness. See, what happens? These weaknesses accumulate. And then, eventually, they become problematic. So you have to manage those. Now, some people try to make themselves feel good. They tell the other party when they meet them. I have no weaknesses. Now, a person picks up on that immediately. And what that means is, to them, you have a lack of self-awareness. That's never a good thing. In other words, this person has excelled to a level of denial that's far the scope of reasoning. And just like they would deny something like that, they would deny anything else negative. Now, one of the challenges that you'll have in relationships, there are some people who are so optimistic, they don't want to hear anything negative. In other words, they don't want to hear the truth. Because the truth is sometimes positive, sometimes negative, right? They don't want to hear it. These are the people that isolate themselves. I don't want to hear about the news. I don't care what's going on on TV. They burn out on that. Okay, we get it. But here's the thing. If there's ever a national emergency, how are you going to be informed? When you're faced with the crisis head on? Or by having, or by, or by having some heads up along the way? And we have to decipher what we're really tired of. We're tired of pundits. We're tired of people putting the spin on things. Instead, we just want to hear what the news is. That's the reason why I listen to Reuters over NBC, CNBC, CNN, and all the rest. Tell me what's going on and how it's going to impact me. That's all I need to know. Not how you feel about certain things or what political opinion is coming in. I don't want to hear that. Just tell me the facts. That's sufficient. Now, when we talk about our strengths, we love to gloat. Don't get to a point of being braggadocious. Take these strengths and enhance them. Work on them. The things you may not be so good at, there's a good possibility you'll never be able to perfect them. Work on those things as well. This is where the majority of work needs to take place on you. Because what happens at this point, the more things you have in your asset columns of strength will outweigh the liability that you'll have when it comes to your weaknesses. Makes you more attractive to your partner or a potential partner. And there may be some things that may be daunting. Some things that you may not have the aptitude in order to conquer under the weaknesses. That's understood. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Like for instance, foreign languages. You may not have a proficiency in that. Okay? True enough. But here's the thing with your weaknesses. If you try and fail, you'll have more confidence in yourself and you'll be more knowledgeable. 
than to be ignorant and fail really. And the way you fail really with anything you do is to never try. Some people call it really fail. I call it fail really. Oh, I can't do that. Have you tried? No, I just know I can't do it. How do you know that? Well, I just told myself that because you deprioritized it. So you made up an excuse. That's why you have it. But when you try to say, you know what? I tried Russian calculus and that stuff is hard. I can't do it. Now you can affirm that you tried it. It didn't work. Guess what you do have? You have knowledge of the complications of it. Nothing to be ashamed of. See, when you try and fail, that's a lesson. That's not a failure. When you don't try, you've already failed. That's the distinction. You may not be able to draw a lick. At least that's what you're telling yourself. But have you tried? And you're like, okay, well, I made this crooked line out of a crooked line. Let me add another crooked line. Hmm, you know what? Kind of looked like somebody's face. Let me see if I can put some eyes and nose and a mouth there. Huh. It actually looked like somebody I know. Sometimes we fear discovery. Sometimes we don't want to know. So we don't try. Then we may realize that we have an ability that we never knew existed. When I first got into IT, I didn't know I had that talent or that skill. When I got in the radio, for that matter, in television, I had no idea I had that skill and that ability. I kept telling myself, nah, those guys are professionals. But where did I get it from? Where did I get the learning from? I actually got it as a kid watching television. Walter Cronkite, Harvey Mudd. That's where I got a lot of it from. Paul Harvey's comments back in the day. Jack Parshall, Johnny Carson. I saw the way they conducted themselves. How they handled themselves. David Cabot. All of those shows back in the day. And I learned from them. Maury Schaefer. Dan Rather. Ted Koppel especially. I will tell you this much. If it was not for Ted Koppel, I probably would not have pursued language, learning, and a lot of other things. I remember when Ted Koppel used to wear this white short sleeve shirt, had a black tie and black slacks, and he would have the microphone with the wire, and he'd be reading off these cards, and he would do stories in front of the ABC truck in the background. 
And I used to listen to him intently when he would come on. I would listen to Harvey Mudd and all the rest of these people, Maury Shaver and all these guys. And I'd say to myself, wow. And then when they would say a word, I would go look it up in a dictionary. And then I started looking up other words. Then I kept doing it. And when I'd watch a James Bond movie, and they would say something like, quit being so damn obsequious, 007. Obsequious. Let me go look that word up. Oh, it meant overextending oneself in personal servitude. Okay. And from that point forward, these things helped me to propel me forward. But I was faced initially with a challenge. Because in Mississippi, there were many people that I knew who could not read. My aunt was an English teacher and she said, there's no excuse to be in this country where you can go to a library. When she was born, it was illegal. But I can go to a library and learn and read. There's no excuse for you not to master the English language. There's no excuse for you to be ignorant. And she was right. So I made that a priority. This is what's required. Some of you even have grammatical skills as a requirement. I know I do. When it comes to dating a standard. You don't speak proper English. We're not speaking slang. We're not doing that. Because you're All right, let's talk about the last segment. Intentions. What are they? What are your intentions? What are your intentions as a listener? What this means is, what are your future plans? 
How do you see yourself in the future? What's the correlation between who you are, your purpose and your passion, and your strengths and weaknesses? How are you going to be able to combine those three into a comprehensive plan for your future? Once again, you may have an altruistic goal. My plans in the future is to promote peace and harmony. My plan in the future is to have a family. My plan in the future is to X, Y, Z. Your practical approach. My plan is to find someone and have a very... How can I best say it? Um, I wouldn't say... I see a very profound relationship. I was thinking of the right word, and it escaped me at the moment. Now, what this means, folks, is this. You want to have a scope as to where you want to go in the future. Now, this is not the moment you're living in. This is the moment you're projecting out where you would like to be. See, a lot of people make the mistake of trying to project where they would like to be in the now. And this is where many of you people make mistakes when it comes down to things such as starting a relationship and you're telling this person you're an entrepreneur, and as an example. And you haven't opened up your business. You haven't even started. But you say this to impress them. Don't mask yourself like that. Be honest with yourself first. Because when a person sees that you're lying to them, the first thing they're going to think is you lied to yourself. You don't have to have a flamboyant projection. It doesn't have to be something where it's over the top. It could be something very practical. In the future, I hope to own a home with a family. In the future, I hope to have a successful business. In the future, I hope to do this or do that. Now, here's the difference. You're projecting what you would like to have or do, right? One thing not to forget with this. When you're dealing with your partner to answer this question, you also should incorporate them in this plan. This is what a lot of people miss out on. They will go and project what they want. But guess what they won't do? include the partner in that plan. This is how so many women get left on the wayside when they start having these grandiose uh, requirements. Well, I want to go to a five-star restaurant. I only accept a $1,600 purse. You notice there's no consideration for the person that's, that she's projecting to provide that purse for, to provide that five-star five restaurant, right? So, that ambition, that intention, is what? Selfish. So with that in mind, that person is treated according to the way they present themselves. This is why a lot of these women don't get the respect that they think they deserve. Because they got it wrong in the first place. They didn't really think it through. Sounds very centric. Oh, it only pertains to me, what I want. 
So it has to be more inclusive. Now, what would sound really ridiculous? Well, my future intentions are to have my husband one day buy me a burka bag or buy me a Versace purse or to take me to a five-star restaurant. That would sound rather ridiculous because that's something that can be accomplished very easily. So what they're looking for is something of more substance, but practical. My goal is to take my passion and to open up a corporation or to open up a daycare or something of that sort or to have a happy, healthy family. Nothing's wrong with that. Because you're projecting what you would like in the future. Now, here's the thing. You have to look with a critical eye when you're asking a partner. So tell me, what are your future intentions? As soon as they come in with something like, well, I don't know. And some of you actually answer this question just like I just said it, I don't know. This is not a good place to be in. You want to have some sort of goal for the future, for yourself. And the reason why you would like to have this is because it gives you a sense of direction. Now, there are some of you who would never use all of these four question categories because you like the excitement of dynamics, of spontaneity, of not knowing. But here's where you have to be careful. A lot of this that you would try to espouse to do is built on feelings and beliefs. The problem with that, feelings and belief never have to deliver. See, practicality and facts do. Something that's concrete something that's projected just based on a whim. You really haven't done your due diligence with it. You really haven't looked at it. You're just going with whatever's available at that moment. And the problem is a lot of these folks who do this, they wind up living their lives in circles. They wind up having different phases of their lives at different stages and different erratic points. One minute they have a job and they're doing well. Next minute they're poor, broken on somebody's couch. Next minute they're living a modest life. Next minute they're at home with their parents. Next minute they're back up on their feet again. Next minute they're down on their ass again. And what that does, it leads to a lot of instability and it makes them less likely to get a partner that will take them seriously. Oh, they will have plenty of partners that will have sex with them. They will have plenty of partners that will take take advantage of the opportunity that they present to them of being vulnerable and gullible. But when it comes down to progression and going forward in a relationship, that's a whole different story. These are some of the people who wind up, when they get up in age, they don't have enough money put away in Social Security because they've lived such an erratic life. These are the people that will wind up having to 
heavily depend on family members to help them out. These are the individuals that will become frustrated because after living that life, they'll realize how much time they've wasted without taking themselves seriously. And they'll realize that other people never took them seriously because they never took it upon themselves to take themselves seriously. And they run into these complications. It's not a pretty sight or easy thing to swallow. So when it comes down to this, when it comes down to intentions, and thanks to Oprah Winfrey because when she starts her meetings, one of the things she would ask is, someone comes up with a proposal, she said, what are your intentions? In other words, what are your plans? Where are you going with this? What are you trying to convey? And that's what it comes down to. Now, the thing you have to understand too is this. With these intentions established, follow through. Your purpose should leave the breadcrumbs towards the intentions that you plan on for your future. Now, how do these four questions fit into your lifestyle? Simply put, remember I talk about character, behavior, situation, and the X factor that's usually associated with reputation. This is how it does it. Once you've defined your character, guess what happens? You behave accordingly to that character. Your standards are in place. Your practices are in place. You have a structured life. Therefore, your requirements for someone to enter that life has to have some of the similar characteristics. This is the reason why you're looking for more of a congruency based on compatibility on this level as opposed to just race, religion, the common things that people go by geography. Now, with this, this culmination of things will also lead to the situation you present yourself in when you meet that partner. And this gives you an opportunity to structure it in such a way where you're in a more alluring situation. Where that person's not scratching their head saying, oh, well, you know, the person's life is in disarray. They're living in a homeless shelter, etc., etc. And yeah, I don't think this person's ready to date. But instead, you may have yourself together. True enough, you may not have all the plans in place, but at least that person can see that you have the framework laid out. Now, another misnomer. Some of you ladies think, especially you younger women, think that just because he has a place to stay, such as an apartment, he has a car and he has a car payment on it. See, the one thing you have to realize about debt in general, you're leveraging your income to pay off that debt. Now, if there are any 
interruptions in that income, that debts still do. And what I'm getting at, just because you're renting an apartment, just because you're owning a car, unless it's paid off, you're on a perpetual cycle. So with that in mind, yes, you get fatigued, you get tired of your boss, you get tired of the job, you get tired of all of the things associated with it, the stress, the pressure, and everything. But this is where you have to focus on your goal, paying off the car, getting out of debt. The apartment, okay, that's a perpetual debt. And a lot of people think that, oh, I'll get relief by buying a home. Now, homes have their benefits, don't get it wrong, but don't just do it because you were marketed to and because you were told that was the best option for you. The banks don't care. They just want you in debt. They want you owing them. And when people talk about, well, you know, I'm contributing to the economy, the problem is the economy does not contribute to you. You benefit only from the employer. It comes down to that. So what does this mean for you? This means that you still have to work on your skills, your career skills, your skill sets. Don't become complacent. Like some of the people that I used to meet at some of the companies I used to work for, they've been there 20, 30 years, and I'm not learning anything new. Hell, I've been here long enough. They're not going to fire me because they're fed up with learning new things. And they have a, a disdain for younger people coming in who don't have the experience they do and that are making more money than they do because they went to college. But see, they don't look at it from the standpoint of, what well, it took you 30 years to learn. It may take this person 12. They got the foundation in college. And the rest, they're getting on the job. So the company would think that that would be a better investment in that person as opposed to paying someone who's going to sit at a desk for 20, 30 years. This is the very reason why in the 1980s, a lot of these corporations praised Reagan when he deregulated so that these companies can get out of these legacy contracts with union workers carrying them for so many years after they have retired. So, what does this mean overall? It means for you to enhance those skill sets to go forward with your career and never to look at debt as your friend because it's never your friend. Even the student loan debt and all of that, as long as it's coming out of your pocket, it's not your friend. Now, true enough, you have something that can't be taken away from you, your education. That's a good thing. With a house, you have to be very careful. The housing market now is ridiculously out of, out of perspective when it comes to pricing. But here's what you have to remember. Unlike 2008, these companies are hanging on to homes that people have lost. They're not putting them out there on the market. These banks are keeping these homes, getting management companies to lease many of them out. And the ones that are for sale are going for a ridiculously high price. Now, because they know they're not getting a bailout this time, and that's the reason why they're so 
harshest. Now here's another thing that we have to come to grips with. We have to understand, too, that with the house there are expenses. Something happens to the roof, that's on you. Something happens to the plumbing, that's on you. Something happens to the front lawn, that's on you. Community have standards, you have an HOA, you got a phone and complaints, that's on you. And so, what you have to understand, if you're going to go into something like that, you want something that's already functioning and working properly. A lot of people get burned with fixer-uppers. Those homes that are like seventy, eighty thousand dollars and they're going to put their money in and try to fix it up, be careful. There was a lady that bought a home back east, sight unseen, purchased a house, celebrated with her family that they had bought a house, no longer in an apartment. So they moved from the west coast out there to take residence in the home and they realized they have about over $100,000 worth of work to do to the house to make it up to the standard where they could live in. So they had to wind up staying with relatives and the family had to pitch in from both the man and the mother's family, the wife's family, in order to make the house inhabitable. And that's what you have to understand. Or habitable. That's what you have to understand. That's what you have to look at. I tell you folks, this show is live. I just do it. There's nothing in front of me, no notes, no script or anything. So, that's the way it goes. We have to deal with it. So what it comes down to in short, you have to take time to sit down and structure your life, plan things out, try not to leave things to fate. And by doing this, at least you have some sort of idea as to where things could go, where you'd like for them to go. And also, be open and flexible to changing those plans. There's nothing wrong with that. The thing you have to watch is when it comes down to your standards. You have to be careful how you change them and don't set them too high. You know, these women that go out and say, I want a $100,000 high-value man. That's nonsense. Because by them setting that up, even a man who makes over $100,000 wouldn't look at them. Because what they're saying is, this is what I'm worth. Now I want you to imagine this, $100,000. We'll say that's 10% of a million, right? Now what if that is 1% of a person's wealth? That's a bargain basement deal to be with that person. But they know that 1% investment could cost them probably a good a considerable portion of their assets. So would they want to take that risk? The answer is no. The numbers don't add up. Invest in, invest in a person at 1%. If things don't go right, then you have to pay them 25, 30% of your wealth. Who's going to take that risk? 
not someone that's wise. So, there's another component that we have to get into. And we're going to get into it in the next segment, and that is called growth. This is the last segment of this particular um, episode. And here we're talking about growth. This is an essential part of who you are. And it's an essential part of what a requirement should be in a relationship. You guys will have to grow. If you're stunted in the growth of that relationship, this is when you're going to become complacent and you're going to come in with buyer's remorse at some point. A depiction of this is that study that I looked at that I mentioned in an earlier podcast about 69% of couples that are not married that live together have a chance at 69% of splitting after 10 years of being together. And the reason why that status is so high for that kind of arrangement is because a lot of times the people don't see any growth in the relationship. They see complacency. There's resentment. There's remorse. Shouldn't have never gotten this relationship. It didn't go anywhere. I wasted my time. This individual has taken a block of my life, a whole decade, and thrown it away. This is the way people look at it. So you want to have growth in certain steps, certain milestones. And this growth comes from being together, going through things together, educating yourselves about each other, learning from each other, I strongly advise you never to date anyone or have a relationship with anyone you can't learn something from. And I'm talking about attributes that will help you in life, attributes that will help you grow. You can always find someone that will just take up your time. There are some needy people out there who literally want to do that, and they're needy for attention. They're like the kid that goes in the living room and stands in front of the TV and says, Mom, look at me. And the kid is like dancing or doing their thing. And the parents are like, could you move? Because I'm watching my show. You want to make sure that you guys have an environment where you can grow. Now, there was a lady out of Chicago wrote me a while back. Single black woman. She was 28 years old. Had no children. And she had started dating this young man. He was 25. But he was heaped in the streets. Meaning that his lifestyle was all about the streets. 
And what she was explaining to him was, he wants to have a child with her. And she's like, no. And he's been really hopping on her about having a child. And what she explained to him was, honey, why would I want to have a child in a neighborhood that I'm trying to get away from? I don't want my kid going to school in this neighborhood. I don't want my kid ducking bullets. I don't want my kid having to worry about wearing clothes and being shot. Let us get out of here first, and then we're talking about having a family. But he was so accustomed to the routine of generation after generation being brought up in poverty and being brought up in an environment where they had to watch out when they left the house, that that was his norm. She grew up in that same neighborhood, but that wasn't her norm. Her norm was to get out of it because she was sick of being there. And having a child in that environment would be considered an insult to the child. And this is, of course, a disagreement they had with each other. And he didn't quite see what she saw. So this became a problem for the both of them. Now I don't know whether she broke up with him or they stayed together. Last I heard from her, I sent her an Instagram Instagram message and she told me that she was moving out of her neighborhood into the suburbs. And apparently, I guess she probably didn't hook up with him. But here's the thing, folks. You have to think about things like this. Sometimes you will outgrow your partner. You will outgrow the environment in which you're in. Some people may have an aversion to that. They may not like growing. Because they like dealing with things that are routine, something that's familiar. And you take them out of their comfort zone. And what happens when you do that, they feel vulnerable. You know, it's like that person that never wants to leave a small town. And then when technology started coming into that small town, they're upset. Where they used to be able to go and get a coffee and talk to the waitress. And instead now they can go to a vending machine and get the coffee. Where they used to be able to call the bank and talk to someone on the phone. And now they have to select which button to push and have to wait indefinitely in order to speak to a customer service agent. You will find people along the way that you're dating who have an aversion to change. I have a friend of mine now. She doesn't want direct deposit. She physically drives 20 miles to get her check from her employer, deposited in her bank. And she's only a handful of people in the company that still do that. Everybody else has direct deposit. She writes out checks for all of her bills. The bank has told her time and time again, you can set up auto pay. She doesn't want to do that. And yet she has a problem. Every once in a while when she goes to pay a bill, 
and it's late because the mail arrived late. Some people have an aversion to change. They don't want to learn anything new. They want to just go and encapsulate that time in which they live and apply it for the rest of their lives. Well, that would be nice, but what that also shows is a level of insecurity. And with that, that's going to be part of your relationship. And how are you going to deal with that? Because after all, that's going to be a challenge that you're going to have to work around. That very same person started dating a guy that I was talking about with the check with the employer. And she had gotten paid. And they had to go all the way out of the way to pick up her paycheck, deposit it in the the bank before they could go on their vacation. And they were almost late missing the flight to go to Hawaii because of that. And that, of course, started an argument on the plane. And they didn't have such a good time in Hawaii when they were there on vacation because that was a sticking point to the gentleman she was dating. These are things you have to consider. You will have people who try to shut themselves off from the realities of the world and of life. And with this, they may not develop the interpersonal skills to convey to you, hey, um, yeah, you know, let's not talk about that. Let's go and talk about something else. And the reason being, they don't want to know. They don't want to find out. But yet, when they become a victim of what they don't want to know, then they're investigating the hell out of it. It's always good to be aware. You don't have to be hypervigilant, but to be aware of things. I was reading one article about this woman who was on a dating site. And she was adamantly against hearing anything about scammers. She didn't believe there were any scammers. She said there were good people in the world. Everybody had a good side to them. At least that's what she thought at the beginning of the article as she wrote how naive she was in the beginning. Well, she met a few guys online. She dated a couple of guys, but there was this one guy that really got her attention. And he claimed that he lived in another part of the country, which he did not. He lived overseas. And she started wiring him money. And then when Cash App came about, she started Cash Apping him money. She was never able to video chat with this guy, never talked to him over the phone. They only text. And he sent photos, she sent photos. He made all kind of promises that they were going to have a wonderful future together. And oh, she bought into it. She believed his every word. Well, then he asked her for an airline ticket. And at first she was talking about purchasing it for him so he could pick it up at the gate. He said, no, you know, instead I'll need you to cash me, cash out me the money, which he did. Altogether, she had spent $5,000 with this man. She never heard from him again. She was heartbroken. 
And then she wrote in the article about how from now on she's looking out for scammers and she's hypervigilant and all this. And she started talking about in her hometown, nobody would do something like that. She never experienced anything like that. And she thought that it was a rumor about people being scammed until she actually got scammed. There was another lady that wrote about how they were asking her to go out and buy these um, iTunes cards and giving them the numbers of the cards. And she thought it was harmless until the store manager told her, ma'am, uh-uh, you're not going to be buying any more of these cards. And she got upset with him and the manager was adamant about it. But she didn't realize till months later she had been used and been ripped off. God didn't contact her anymore that she was chatting with, and that was all. Sometimes, folks, you will try to go and bury your head in the sand, and somebody that does not have the best intentions for you will dig you out of it. You want to be aware. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to look at it as something that's a challenge to you. Look at it as information that will help you to protect yourself. You know, it's like these people that call me up every once in a while talking about, yeah, I'm a social security agent. I was like, okay. Well, I didn't know social security had agents. Yes, and uh, we need your social security number in order to verify your account. I said, no, you don't. What do you mean I don't? Well, it seems to me if you're a social security company, company, I said, not social security administration, company, you would already have that information. Yes, but we're not, um, our computers are down. Nice try, fella. So what's your web address? I'll go and log in. So and so and so and so dot com. Well, it's kind of funny that the federal government does not use .com on any of their domains. So, apparently you're a private company. I hung, he hung up. These people will try to scam you no matter what. They don't care. You have to be vigilant. You have to know how to deal with them. Burying your head in the sand will do nothing but make you a victim. Let me give you an extreme case. In the 1960s, there was a man that was found in the Philippines that still thought World War II was going on. He was a Japanese soldier. He had several other soldiers and they died along the way. And they literally had to send his commanding officer from Japan over to the Philippines in order to relieve this man of his duty. He had no idea the war ended in 1945. And there it was in the 1960s. And he still thought the war was going on. We had fought two wars 
since this man was still thinking that the Japanese were still fighting. We fought Korea and then we were into Vietnam. And this man was still in the Philippines thinking that he was fighting for the Japanese decades later. Folks, you have to be aware. You have to be informed. You have to grow. You can't let technology intimidate you. Some of you are so afraid of online dating. It's a pleasurable experience if you allow it to be. But the main thing is you have to read in the about columns under safety on many of these dating sites. They will tell you the things to look out for, things not to do. And there are a host of them. I tell you ladies, for instance, never allow a guy to pick you up on the first date. Guys, same things with the ladies. Because you can be set up too. She may pick you up on the first date and you're thinking everything's cool and she said, you know, I gotta stop and pick up my friend. Friend gets in the backseat of the car. You don't know what he's doing back there. And I'm referring to a case that happened down in Georgia where a lady did that with a guy but he picked her up on the date. She said that that was her friend on the side of the road. He goes, he picks the guy up, the guy gets in the back seat, pulls out a gun, shoots the guy. The girl has set him up. You have to be very careful. A rule of thumb for you guys and your ladies, if you're picking up somebody on a date, which I don't recommend on the first date, but if you happen to do this, don't pick up anyone else. I don't give a damn. If she says, oh, that's my best friend, your best friend's going to walk. It's too much of a risk to take. It's best to provide your own transportation to the venue. There and back. At least on the first date. And ladies, if you're worried, what you could do is take a lift or an Uber. Go to the venue, after the venue. If you don't feel comfortable after leaving, you can have this individual, the driver, drop you off at a friend's home. So in that way, you don't have to worry so much about that person knowing where you live. Also, you can do a situation where you're driving from home from, from a date if that person happens to be following you, you can stop by the house of a friend, go to the fire department police station. You could call the police and let them know you're being followed. Because you never know, because that person's a total stranger when you meet them. Now, this is rare that this happens. Most men are respectful but you may run into a creep or two here or there. So you want to have a contingency plan for things like that. If you happen to get weak enough to let this guy talk you into picking you up on the first date, take a close selfie, cheek to cheek with this person. 
then take a full panoramic picture of the tail section of the car. You want the headlight, the taillight pattern of the vehicle, and you want the license plates in that picture, fully disclosed and clear. Use your flash if it's at night. Send both of those pictures, the selfie and the picture of the rear of the vehicle, to a close, trusted friend or family member. Don't put it on social media. You want to protect that person's privacy. But here's the thing. Let them know where you're going, the exact location where you're going to go on that day. So just in case you wind up missing, they can turn that information over to the police. The police will be able to see what kind of vehicle it was, what the license plates of the vehicle is, then they can find out who owns the vehicle, whether the car was stolen or not, and then they can verify by having a picture of that person with you that indeed the two of you were together. So in that way, they'll have a point of reference to start from. Now, if he's reluctant to take a picture with you, doesn't want you taking a picture of the car, don't get in that car. Don't get in that vehicle. This is just to protect you, to help you along. If you're chatting with someone and they're, giving, they're asking you for very personal information, name of your kids, what school they go to, those kind of things, end that relationship, end that conversation immediately and block them. You can report them if you want. They're asking you what your address is and that kind of thing, and you haven't met that, met that person, don't give them the address. But I'll be doing a podcast on security and safety later to help you out. But for the most part, people understand a few things. Your relationship requires growth. Don't make it an option. It's a requirement. you got to be able to learn from your partner. Your partner has to be able to learn from you. If they try to marginalize what you have to offer in that relationship as far as things that will help them grow, you're in the wrong relationship with the wrong person. Take care. And thank you for listening, folks. Romantic Truth would like to take this opportunity and applaud our listeners and over 40 countries for their support. If you need someone to talk to in regards to help, you may contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255, available 24 hours. All correspondences read on the show have been pre-screened and pre-approved by the submitter to be aired on the show. The views and opinions of this podcast does not reflect those of Romantic Truth, Anchor, Spotify, or any of its affiliates. 
the opinions expressed are solely those of the host and guests, and should not be deemed as professional guidance, advice, or a professional practice. In the event you may need professional assistance, contact your local federal, state, or county agencies for specific assistance in social services, family counseling, or mental health services. For all medical, legal, and financial services please contact the appropriate licensed and certified professionals within your region. The music that is provided on this podcast that is not provided by Anchor is used under waiver by Jaws and One Music for fair use. Please be advised that the content of this podcast is under copyright by Romantic Truth and James Adams.